everybody, and welcome to another edition of Awesome Irish Women from the Past. Today on the show, we have three marvellous gals who are going to tell us all about their incredible lives. Let's have a big round of applause for Beatrice Grimshaw, for Nellie Cashman, and last but not least, Lady Harriet Kavanagh. Now, we've plucked you three lovely ladies from history and brought you here because you all have something in common. None of you are too interested in sitting at home all day, am I right, ladies? Am I right? I suppose not. Oh, heavens no. Is this going to take long? Ladies, you have been brought here because our programme today is all about... Adventure! And you gals, <laughs> well, I think you all know a little bit about that. So let's kick things off, shall we? Beatrice, let's start with you. Tell me, where did it all begin? Well... I suppose I always knew that a quiet life wasn't for me. My name is Beatrice Ethel Grimshaw, and I was born in Cluna in County Antrim in 1871. We were a wealthy family and I was comfortable, but from a very young age, I was keen to get on, you know, to make my own way in the world. So I left home as soon as I could. Most women would have been happy to get married and settle down, but I wanted a career, an independent life of my own. So as soon as I was allowed, I packed myself up and headed to Dublin. One thing I really enjoyed was cycling. Oh, how I do love a good pedal bike. Something so liberating about careering through the countryside by bicycle. But eventually I got fed up just cycling around with no particular aim, so I thought, why not jolly well do something? I was racking my brains, and then it came to me. I said, do you know what? I could break a world record. I knew that the previous 24-hour world cycling record for a woman was not exactly that impressive. I mean... I'm very athletic and perfectly capable of outcycling any other woman, so I just went for it. And naturally, I beat the world record. As a result, I was offered my first writing job on a sporting newspaper in Dublin. People were surprised, of course, asked me if I really believed that a woman could hold such a position, but I thought, you just watch me. And I knew deep down that this was only the beginning of my story. Dublin at the time was okay as far as cities went, I suppose. But what really drove me mad was all the loathsome parties. Ugh, so much faffing about, dull people talking to other dull people about dull things. Oh, I couldn't bear it. I just had to get out of there, so I hopped on a boat to England. London, to be precise. I was excited to be somewhere new and set about writing my first novel. Very proud of it, really. But in writing it, I realised, although London is quite diverting, city life just wasn't for me. What I really wanted to do was travel, to see the world. But it was tricky for a woman in those days to do such a thing, so I had to make a plan. You want a what? I want a job. I don't have any jobs for women here, I'm afraid, miss. But I can write. 
If you let me sail with you, I'll write about your shipping company for the press. Wonderful, glowing reviews. I don't know. It all seems a little unorthodox. We're heading for Polynesia. Do you even know where that is? I am keen to see the Pacific Islands, Captain. I travel light and I am bold as any man. Oh, I don't think so, miss. It seems scandalous. He was reluctant, I must say. But I was determined. And in 1906, I was on board a huge ship on my way to Tahiti. Are you sure you'll be all right here, miss? Thank you, Captain. I have my guide who speaks English well, and he will help me to settle in. Very well. But, miss... What will you do here? Well, I will explore, of course. See all there is to see. Meet some of the people who live here. And all of these experiences I shall pour into my writing. Miss, do you know that this place, although beautiful, is very dangerous? There are poisonous snakes that could kill a person in seconds. Yes, indeed. I have read about them. There are crocodiles also lingering in the shallow waters. I shall be vigilant. Did I mention deadly crabs and scorpions, miss? It's not too late to change your mind. You can stay on board with us, and we will drop you off somewhere a little more comfortable. My good man, you are a sailor. You must understand what it is to long for adventure. I do, and I wish you well, miss. And I bid you be safe. Thank you, Captain. You have been most kind. Over the next 30 years, I journeyed to many exotic places. The Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, Torres Straits, Fiji, the Moluccas. Well, I've almost lost count. During that time, I must have finished over 30 books. Some romance novels, some non-fiction, and many articles for the National Geographic. Books and articles for people who would never be brave enough to see these places for themselves. I say, have you read this book by old Beatrice? Beatrice? Beatrice Grimshaw, who went cycling on her own overnight? Yes, well, she's only gone to French Polynesia. On her own? She writes here about surviving a forest fire, about roaming the South Seas in a schooner boat, making friends with the old queen of the Cook Islands, and my goodness, she seems to have had a close encounter with some headhunters. Shocking. Bizarre behaviour. It's a disgrace if you ask me. It is a great read, all the same. Oh, how I loved visiting all the different islands. So many of them. So beautiful and so different to anything I'd ever seen before. I was glad to be there alone. It was exciting, but dangerous, of course. I don't mind admitting that I slept with a pistol under my pillow. You know, just in case... And I'll be honest, I was afraid sometimes, terribly, terribly afraid of the night, when darkness would envelop the islands. But in my early days there, I was given a gift by one of the chiefs, a beautiful orange shell in the shape of the crescent moon. He said that it was a charm that would keep me safe on my travels. I don't know if it was the reason I survived, but I keep it with me still. 
Well, Beatrice, that's quite a story. I think everyone should join me in giving Beatrice a round of applause. So we've had wild animals, cannibals, and poisonous snakes so far. What else can these women handle? Nelly, it's your turn now. Tell us your story. My name is Nellie Cashman, and I was born in Middleton in County Cork in 1845. Tough times in Ireland, with the potato blight ripping through the countryside. My father died when I was very little, God rest his soul, and I barely remember him. But my ma spoke very fondly of him. I think she was very near broken after he left us, and soon afterwards, in 1850, she decided to take me and my sister Fanny to America. It was a fresh start, and I thank her for it in my heart every day since. We moved to Boston first, a fine town, where I made many friends. But my ma, well, she was a bit like me, you see. Not one to stray from adventure. So, when my sister and I were old enough, ma decided that life was for living and we packed ourselves up and headed west to San Francisco to see what waited for us. Sure, it was a tough city then, with gangs and kidnapping, but man, it was exciting. That city was growing faster than they could build houses. Folk there were mostly drawn to it because of the gold in California and, of course, the silver. The prospectors, well, they were streaming in from everywhere. Everyone's sure that they were going to strike it lucky. There's another story in the paper, Ma. They say there's silver in Pioch, Nevada. One man out there found a load and now he's filthy rich. Everyone's packing up and headed that way. Well, this whole country seems obsessed with gold and silver. I don't know if many of those men ever find anything worth writing home about. But they do find it, Ma. These stories don't come from nowhere. There's silver out there just waiting for people to come along and... Nelly, I do believe you might have a touch of mining fever yourself. Ma, come on. It's hard not to get a little excited at the thought of treasure. And you must be getting bored here. My sister Fanny is married now. There's not much happening. Say, if you and I were to maybe pack up and head for Nevada... I'm sure those miners could do with a boarding house out there. Oh, I don't know, Nelly. I'm a bit old now for starting afresh and taking chances. Isn't that what you say life is all about, taking chances? Ma, it would be an adventure. Admit it. Ellen Cashman, what am I going to do with you? <laughs> You're going to help me pack. We're going to follow that silver. It was 1872 when me and Ma headed for Nevada. We set up our first boarding house there. I liked the work, but sure enough, I got an itch a couple of years later and decided that I just had to see for myself if there might be a fortune waiting for me somewhere. Ma understood. She would have come with me if she'd been younger. I know it. But she thought she'd slow me down, so she decided to go and stay with Fanny and her family. So that was it. In 1874, I headed off 
and set myself up in the Cassier District, British Columbia. That's in Canada. I'll always remember that bitter winter. I could have never guessed what adventure the snows would bring. I had just left Cassier and headed to Victoria for some supplies. It's blown pretty bad out there. That it is. Did you hear about the miners up Cassier Way? It's terrible. I'm based up in Cassier. Headed back there tomorrow. What's happened? Well, I'd wager you won't get very far. The boys up there have been clean cut off by the storm. No one's getting past. If you don't clear soon, they're going to be in trouble. They'll be running out of food and supplies before long. Is that so? Yes, ma'am. You may as well settle yourself here for some time, because Cassiar is not going to be reachable again until the thaw. Surely there has to be a rescue underway. We can't leave those boys out there to starve. With all due respect, ma'am, Cassiar is impossible to reach right now. It would be foolhardy for a man to attempt it, let alone a delicate woman like yourself. Hmm. Well, we'll see about that. Foolhardy? Well, maybe it was. But I knew some of those fellows and I sure wasn't about to let them die. I had some money and I did what any Christian would do. I hired six men got together food and medicine, and we set off for Cassier. This delicate woman was going to do what those yellow-bellied Victoria men should have been doing in the first place. I was going to rescue those miners. Ma'am, what is your business here? Sir, I have raised this rescue party for the men stranded in Cassiar. They're running out of supplies and they'll die if we don't get to them. With all respect, ma'am, we have already attempted a rescue and it's impossible. How do you propose to reach them? Sir, we plan to hike along the frozen river. It may take some time, but we're prepared for that. No, I must insist that you retreat. It's far too dangerous. To try and get through there would be insane. Well, I've been called worse before. You and your men could lose your lives, ma'am. Yes, there is a chance we may die. But those trapped miners will die for sure if we don't rescue them. That border guard finally let us through, but I'm sure he thought he would never see us again. And when we started to head inland, my lord, I wasn't sure if we would make it. seen snow like it. You could barely see your hand in front of your face. Everything was just a blur of white and gray. That storm was relentless. She nearly killed me and my men. It took us 77 days to reach Cassiar. I don't know who was more surprised when we turned into the camp, us or the miners. They thought it was over for them, and when they saw us coming, they went down on their knees and they thanked the sweet Lord for their good fortune. 
They wouldn't have lasted much longer if we hadn't got there. Maybe 200 men we saved that day. Those boys, they started calling me the Angel of Cassiar, and it stuck. Not a bad nickname, I suppose. Well, if I was bothered with what people thought, I would never have done anything at all. I headed off again, with a few boarding houses here and there and enough to fund the mining trips. Just waiting for that big find of a fortune. Sure, there's not many women willing to do it, but I don't see why not. All it takes is guts and the good lord. Nellie, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story. Let's hear it for Nellie, everyone. I'm not sure if we can top a daring rescue mission in the midst of a snowstorm, but let's give it a go. Lady Harriet, what have you got for us? Oh, is it my turn? Wonderful. My name is Lady Harriet Kavner, and I was born on the 13th of October in 1799. When I was 26 years old, I married Thomas Kavner, MP for the city of Kilkenny. He was some years older than me. I was his second wife, but we got along swimmingly. And we had four children, Charles, Thomas, Arthur and Harriet. My wonderful, delightful children, all so different. And I suppose Arthur was more different than most. I'm afraid it's very bad news for the family. The child has no limbs. None at all. No arms or legs? Gracious, how awful for them. Yes, and Lady Kavanagh, she seems almost in denial. When she was told of the boy's afflictions, she simply cradled him in her arms and remarked that he had the most beautiful eyes she'd ever seen. How strange. Perhaps she's in shock. Perhaps. The doctor told her, of course, that the child could never lead a normal life, and she just smiled and said, well, thank goodness for that. A normal life sounds awfully dull. Oh, dear. That woman has clearly lost her mind with grief. Clearly. When I saw Arthur, it was a little bit... Unexpected, I'll be honest. But it was important that he be given as much of a chance as the rest. In 1837, my dear husband died, so I focused on Arthur. I taught him to paint and then write. I had a special wheelchair built for him and even a special saddle so that he could ride a horse. People thought I was rather eccentric, of course, but what is one to do? Raise one's children as best one can, or worry about people's opinions. Ha! Huh. Anyway, Arthur became a fine horse rider. I decided that the children desperately needed to improve their French, and I felt like a change of scenery myself. We set off from London and headed to Saint-Germain-en-Laye. The children loved it, as did I. But I decided soon enough that perhaps we should head further afield. So we went onwards to Rome, which was wonderful. 
I'm an antiquarian, which means that I'm fascinated by ancient things, and so naturally there were many places that I longed to see. And first on the list was Egypt. Have you heard about the widow Lady Harriet? What about her? She is set to travel to Egypt and the Holy Land. Well, that sounds like quite an expedition. Unusual for a woman. Who's going to accompany her? That is precisely it. Only the children's tutor will accompany her. But why would the tutor be there? For the children? She's bringing her children along. Including the boy who is disabled? Yes, including the boy. Good Lord. Yes, I know. Unthinkable. (laughs) Well, of course I was not to be parted from the children. Arthur, who they all worried about, well, he was well able for it. Absolutely fearless, my Arthur. And who was I to deny him an adventure such as this? Oh, and what an adventure it was to be. How do you find Cairo, Lady Harriet? Why, it is fascinating. And I dare say the children are learning much more than they would sitting at home in Kilkenny. But while we're here, I do think we should go and see some of the archaeological sites along the River Nile. Are you sure? It does get a little, shall we say, wild. We shall hire a couple of those boats. What are they called? Felucas? And then perhaps head on to Hebron. We need camels for that. And then I suppose we'll try a trip to the Holy Land. I see. That is quite a journey. And then you will return to Ireland, I suppose? Oh, I think not. Perhaps we'll journey on to Petra, Beirut, Constantinople. Oh, there's so much to see. Lady Harriet, are you not a little nervous? These parts are not well known. I wouldn't say nervous. Rather exciting, though, isn't it? Travelling through the desert was tough enough, I must say. One journey took 36 days, and it was awfully hot, you understand. And heavens above, it did take some bargaining to get the camels. It was an absolute feast for the eyes, that journey from the tip of Africa. I sent lots of pictures home to the family. And in my sketchbook, I completed many watercolours, which I'm quite proud of. Flicking through the pages of it, it does bring me right back there, I must say. Of course, it did feel rather quiet in Kilkenny then when we returned home. But I did have my sketches. And a few antiquities. In the region of 300 lovely little ancient Egyptian pieces that I brought home with me. Delightful to have them dotted around the house now, I must say. Oh, and Arthur. Yes, well, he did tremendously well. Got married, became an MP, all the usual. You know, quite soon I rather forgot about the little fact that he was somewhat different to the others. He certainly never let it stop him. Lady Harriet, or may I call you Harriet? No, you may not. Okay then. Lady Harriet, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And thank you indeed to each of our three adventuring ladies for being with us today. Here's to our Polynesian adventurer, Beatrice Grimshaw. 
for our daring gold prospector, Nellie Cashman. And of course, our unconventional Egyptologist, Lady Harriet Kavanagh. We'll be back next week with three more awesome Irish women from the past, who each have a lot to say for themselves. Joining me will be the storytellers Eileen Dovney Connell, Peg Sayers, and Lady Augusta Gregory. Don't miss it. This program was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee.